Doctor said you got PCOS. Now go on, girl, just lose some weight. Till I took the symptoms into my own hands and reversed them naturally. So I became a dietitian to help my sisters feel the best they've ever felt. Take a step in my direction if you wanna prove them wrong and take control of yourself. Welcome everyone to another episode of A Sister and Her Mister. Today we have Lisa Hendrickson-Jack here with us. She is a certified fertility awareness educator and holistic reproductive health practitioner. And she teaches women to chart their menstrual cycles for natural birth, for natural birth control, conception, and monitoring overall health. In her new book, The Fifth Vital Sign, Lisa debunks the myth that regular ovulation is only important when you want children by recognizing the menstrual cycle as a vital sign. Lisa is the host of Fertility Friday podcast, a weekly radio show devoted to helping women connect to their fifth vital sign by uncovering the connection between menstrual cycle health, fertility, and overall health. Welcome, Lisa. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And right before this, um, right before we started the episode, we we're just talking, getting to know each other. You mentioned it took you about two years to write the book. Can you tell us the process of writing the book and the kind of information that you were, the research you were gathering, and the process behind it? Yeah, no, I'd be happy to. It was it was kind of one of those long time coming kind of situations because uh, I started my podcast. Now it'll be about seven years ago or so, mm-hmm. and. I mean, before that, I was teaching women about their menstrual cycle and fertility awareness on a very grassroots kind of small level. And ultimately, when women discover how their cycle works and that you're not fertile every day and there's only a short window and you can track your cycle and not only can it give you, um, you know, non-hormonal birth control options or Mm -hmm. uh, help you to conceive, it can also give you a window into your health. So the, the number one thing that I hear from women when I share this information is, you know, why didn't anybody tell me this? <laughs> and then, uh, you know, everyone needs to know this. Yeah. So ultimately, um, the book was my, my intention was to put something out there that would provide a lot of the information that I talk about on a regular basis in one place. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was kind of the, the mind kind of behind the book. Uh, But of course, I'm not a a medical doctor. And a lot of the things that I'm talking about, although they're becoming more common, are still not really well known and not certainly Mm -hmm. not like common, like your average woman still doesn't really know how her menstrual cycle works or all of those myths about the cycle. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, I wanted to provide a resource that not only described these, you know, issues and, and challenges, but also provided the women who read it with a, a solid resource. So it's not a scenario of like, well, Lisa said so, and I should take her word for it. <laughs> but it's more, you know, this is the research that she, you know, this is where she looked to gather this information. And so mm-hmm. that was really my intention. Thus, the 40 pages of citations. In the- wow. <laughs> and they're really small, too. <laughs> I know, I saw. Small font, yeah. It's honestly the type of book that you would hand to your 16 year old daughter to learn about what is what her body does and to feel more empowered. And honestly, there's one thing that you had said and how we don't we're, we can't get pregnant every single day of our cycle. There's only a period of time, like six days where you can get pregnant. 
you know how many women don't know this (laughs) because no one has told us until later. Like I learned that later. Like, I feel like that was the first thing I should have learned, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, they basically teach us the the exact opposite of that. So I can remember my junior high school, you know, sex ed class, you may have had a similar experience when they told us that there were no safe days. You could get pregnant any day of the cycle. Like, don't even look Uh at Uh And I used an example in the book where this woman legitimately went to a doctor and at some point in the conversation, she was told that, you know, women in their 20s, they're so fertile. I mean, they could get pregnant sitting on a warm bus seat. (laughs) This is like an actual thing that her medical doctor told her. So certainly then when you learn that there's only like a small window, I mean, it's uh, even for women who read the books and who start charting it actually can take a long time to kind of shift the mindset and actually Mm. realize that there are periods of your cycle where you literally biologically, physically cannot get pregnant. Right. I feel like it's like a scaring tactic. Like when we're Uh kids, they just don't want us to have sex. They just (laughs) want us to be safe as possible. So so they're just like, don't even touch each other. And don't even sit on a bus. Yeah. (laughs) Especially if it's warm. Yeah. Oh my god, that is so disgusting. Who says that? I'm dead. So I think you're but, absolutely right with that scary yeah. tactic because that's what happens. And so even for myself, I was terrified, you know, but it, it was still different. So when I became sexually active, I had been on the pill for a different reason for painful periods. But then I had my own reasons for not, you know, maybe I'm just a weirdo, but because I wasn't taking it for birth control, I didn't take it the right time. And so I had read the thing and I knew that I, you know, I just didn't want to be scared all the time that I could be pregnant. So I decided to use condoms. But when I was growing up in high school in the 90s, we were taught that condoms were an effective method of birth control up to 98% effective when used correctly, which is true. Mm -hmm. But these days, the younger women in their 20s that I speak to they really have internalized the message that if they're not on hormonal contraceptives, that it's basically this, like, it's just a matter of time until they get pregnant. Like it's basically the same thing as not even being on the pill. So I feel like the indoctrination slash fear tactics have gotten even more aggressive. Yeah. 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 It's almost like birth control is the standard route for women after they turn 18 or like in that, in that age range, Mm -hmm. take birth control. You'll be fine until you want to get pregnant kind of a thing. Yeah. My friend just texted me too, saying she went to the gyno for, um, not, not for irregular periods, her periods were regular. I think she, she just said she had like acne and like some hormonal symptoms and she was being pushed birth control. Like that was the only solution, you know, and she, she has a boyfriend and everything. So fertility and, um, getting pregnant, like the risk of getting pregnant early and everything was an issue for her. And it was like the only thing that the doctor recommended Mm. take and forced almost like, pressured if she didn't know any better if she didn't know me she probably would have been like okay whatever like this sounds safe you know it's like the only option that's it and right take it now yeah yeah Yeah. so tell us about the fifth vital sign so this is this might be something new to our audience um oftentimes the period isn't referred to as a vital sign but I love how you're calling it a fifth vital sign and in your book, you also mention how we look at an EKG to see how our heart health is doing. So we need to look at our period health and see how our hormones are doing mm-hmm. instead of masking it with birth control when we have symptoms. Just, you know, you wouldn't mask uh, someone who's at risk for a heart attack with an EKG that's like off the charts, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? 
So please elaborate. I love this. Yeah, I mean, so it's 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 not a concept that's actually that new. And I more and more health professionals are embracing this idea. And so there's a number of organizations that are coming out and saying we should be looking at the menstrual cycle as a vital sign. And so, um, you know, in, in teenage girls, for example, it's encouraged then for the physicians to inc- include questions about their menstrual cycle as part of the, you know, typical exam. Because, for example, if you have a 16-year-old who has never ovulate, like who has still not had her menstrual period, it is important to understand when that should be happening and why it's not. So for example, you know, I interviewed a woman on my podcast and she hadn't had her period when she was 16. And so she was put on the pill. And so I was talking to her and she was like 30. And so she had been on the pill the whole time. It was was like a a pleasant story. Like she ended up having some complications and then having to go off it. But my point is that she literally had her menarche when she was 30 because like she never had a period without the pill wow and when we were talking she was like yeah you know I was really obsessed with my weight I was like exercising a ton and etc cetera, etc cetera. so she had all the signs of HA hypothalamic amenorrhea which can prevent you or delay your mm-hmm. menarche because you know you need to eat food to have a menstrual cycle and so you know that's a, a good example of why you know, especially for adolescent girls, we should be looking at it. But for, you know, women of reproductive age, when I say the menstrual cycle is like a vital sign. So the most common vital signs would be things like your heart rate or your blood Mm -hmm. pressure or your body temperature. And we all have a sense that if your, if your blood pressure was too high, if you go to your doctor, they know what's normal. And not only that, so they know that something's wrong if it's off, but if it's high, there's kind of like a short list that the doctor would kind of look to, like, these are some of the reasons why it could be high. And so with the menstrual cycle, I think I, I, you know, I love to clarify that I'm not just talking about the period. So when I say menstrual cycle, I'm talking about from the period until your next one. So all the steps in between. So your period, as you approach ovulation, ovulation, (laughs) and then the period of time between ovulation and your next one. And we can actually break the cycle down into a number of different phases Mm -hmm. and look to see what is normal within those phases. So if something's off with the overall length of the cycle, like in PCOS, it's, you know, typically one of the signs you'd look for is if the cycles are over 35 days or they're fluctuating more than eight days from cycle to cycle. So that's overall length, but we could also look at something like Um, the amount of time between ovulation and your period. So we, you know, the luteal phase, it's supposed to be 12 to 14 days. So if it's only Mm -hmm. seven days, you know, that would mean something different. So it's, it's really interesting because when you hear it put this way, it's kind of like, well, duh, that makes perfect sense. Of course you should have a healthy cycle. And of course, if it's off it, you know, but we don't really think about the fact that if, if you are a woman of reproductive age and your cycles are out of that normal range on a consistent basis, that that is an indication that there's something we need to look at in terms of your yeah. health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you continue each cycle to be off, it just adds on to each other. So it's like the snowball effect over, over a long right. period of time. Are you trying to conceive? When you're in the process of baby making, you don't want to take a prenatal that's designed for a woman who's pregnant. They get expensive and have ingredients you don't need quite yet. 
Perinatal core is a prenatal focused on women who are trying to conceive. It contains the active form of folic acid, folate, as well as 2000 IUs of vitamin D. Also, it doesn't have any expensive ingredients that you don't need until you're pregnant. Theralogix's prenatal, Theranatal core, is especially for women with PCOS who are in the process of baby making. Check the link in the description for our 15% off code. Alright babe, let's take a moment to correct our posture, take a deep breath, and have some pure spectrum CBD. Sure. Hey sisters, CBD can help with acne, inflammation, anxiety, sleep, and so many other PCOS symptoms. I personally take it throughout the day to help keep my stress hormones nice and low. Not to mention, I sleep like a baby every night and I don't wake up fatigued at all. Now open your mouth please so I can give you a serving. Ah. Uh... Now hold it for 60 seconds. Head over to PureSpectrumCBD.com and use the code THESISTERHOOD, one word, for 10% off. Can I stop now? Nope, you got 30 more seconds. So many risks come from having you know, irregular periods or no period at all. And sometimes we ignore it, not having a period. And we're just like, well, I just don't have a period or, you know, whatever. And we don't realize that it is a vital sign. Well, let me give you a couple of examples because... Again, like we live in a, a culture that really looks at ovulation is only important when you're trying to have a baby and otherwise it doesn't really matter. And so yeah. part of the message uh, of thinking of the menstrual cycle as a vital sign is obviously to change that narrative. Because again, you know, thinking about uh, a, a woman of reproductive age who's not menstruating regularly, um, it's not one of the analogies that I use is like you can buy a car, you know, with or without air conditioning and it doesn't change the functioning of a car. And we've kind of been sold this bill of goods that like our periods and our ovulation is kind of like the air conditioning, you know, it doesn't matter whether you have it or not, but it's actually central. So yeah. in the example of a woman who's lost her period entirely. So in the case of HA, so um, hypothalamic amenorrhea, for example, is characterized by over exercise, undernutrition and stress. So when a woman of reproductive age has lost, like she's not ovulating and she's mm -hmm. not menstruating for a period of six months or more, it's serious. It's like she's starving and her mm -hmm. body is actively preventing her from ovulating because a pregnancy at that point would actually be catastrophic for her body. Like, let's put this into perspective. Right. And, yeah. um, in addition to that, so women who do find themselves without a period for a, per a period of six months uh, or more, um, they're at a higher lifetime risk of osteoporosis. And I have met women in their 20s with an osteoporosis diagnosis as a result of either, you know, an eating disorder, right? Like, uh, so prolonged period of time without menstruation yeah. and or you know something else and so this is serious mm -hmm. you know you might not want to have a baby but how many 20 year olds want osteoporosis yeah that's very yeah. young to be experiencing that already and yeah and i feel a lot of women are also like pressured to go on especially when with pcos they're pressured to go on a lot of restrictive diets and do ex like intensive exercises so it can only like make that situation worse you know like like you said the body is shutting down the ovulation because it doesn't have it you know it's under stress so when you're um, adding on more stressful things, routines like restrictive diets or intensive workouts, you're making that worse too. It's like a recipe for disaster for women with PCOS. You go to the doctor's office, you don't have a period or it's irregular and you're given birth control and told to come back until you want to have babies. Mm -hmm. And then you just completely ignore your ovulation 
or the importance of ovulation for years and years. And meanwhile, the weight gain sometimes is uncontrollable. And we feel that overexercising and cutting calories will help us. And that's further driving our body into starvation mode. And Mm -hmm. we're literally, and then you get off the pill to have babies. And it's like this whole time, we haven't done anything to help with our fertility because it wasn't, it was told that it wasn't important until we wanted to have kids. Mm. And it's such a disservice. Yeah, I mean, this is why it would be a a wonderful step forward to start looking at the menstrual cycle as a vital sign Mm -hmm. and really looking at the standard being to have a healthy menstrual cycle uh, as it is. So, you know, the birth control pill, of course, is a topic on its own, but I love analogies. And so the way that I look at it, so imagine if, so if I bought, you know, a, a summer house or something, but the pipes were broken. And so every time I turned on the water, it started leaking everywhere. So that's your PCOS. Like that's the issue with the cycle. Uh-huh. And so then I, my solution, I just shut the water off. <laughs> Brilliant. It stops oh, the problem. No more leaking. <laughs> but yeah, so this is the, this is the problem because what hormonal birth control does, we're sold all kinds of, um, lies, I'll just come out and say it about what it's doing in the body. So I think the most common lies about it is, you know, oh, it regulates the cycle or, oh, it makes your body think that it's pregnant. Mm. Remember, that's what I heard. And it doesn't do that. What it does is uh, the, the vast majority of hormonal contraceptive options shut down ovulation as the primary mode of action. So literally interfering with the conversation that's supposed to be happening with the hypothalamus, pituitary and ovaries so that it just you just don't ovulate. And the reason that you have a bleed every 28 days is, is because you withdraw the hormones. So, you know, what we're doing as you're well aware, is you're just masking the problem. And so it continues in the background. So another analogy that I like to use is like, you've got a grease fire going in your kitchen and you just take the batteries out of the fire alarm. And obviously that's making, like, obviously the solution we should be doing, (laughs) right? Like the grease fire will take care of itself. And so, and so this isn't to, to blame the women who find themselves caught into this because you're not educated when you're go to the doctor's office, they just tell you, oh, we're going to regulate your periods and come back when you want to have a baby and we'll give Mm -hmm. you something that's going to make you ovulate and everything will be okay. But what they don't, realize so okay if we look at the menstrual cycle as a vital sign it means that we should have normal healthy cycles and it means if we don't there's an underlying issue that could be contributing and so um i find it interesting to hear you say you know oh they're just you know you're going on these restrictive diets and you're being told to exercise it's it's interesting because um if you read the medical literature too there's this assumption that all women with pcos are overweight yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it, 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 even on the flip side, I've had a lot of women who I work with who are not um, mm-hmm. overweight, but yeah. who have classic PCOS, you mm-hmm. know, they've got the long cycles. They do, you know, sometimes have the cysts on the ovaries and they, they have the androgens, right? So mm-hmm. two of the three of the Rotterdam criteria, but it's like obvious to me because I'm looking yeah. at your charts and it's, and they they'll go to the doctor and because they don't present uh, as overweight, they'll literally be told you don't have PCOS, like get out of my office, obviously, maybe in a nicer way. Yeah. Um, and so that is interesting, because if you look at what is happening in PCOS, why are the ovaries not responding? You know, mm-hmm. what is really going on here? So PCOS is characterized by glucose intolerance, insulin resistance, 
the yeah. inflammation and everyone isn't the same and there's different kinds of PCOS. And of course you can go into that, but generally speaking, we have uh, women who are not, you know, doing an adequate job processing their carbohydrates, essentially, you know, that's at the heart of it for a lot of women with PCOS and women with PCOS with the long irregular cycles are at a 50% greater risk of developing, you know, type two diabetes in their lifetime. So by putting them on the pill, we're kind of pretending that it's an issue of ovulation when Mm -hmm. really it's an issue of metabolism Mm -hmm. that is, you know, kind of playing out in disrupted ovulation. Yeah. So, and even the title of it indicates that, oh, this is an ovulatory problem. No, no. The problem is disrupting ovulation. Mm -hmm. So if we deal with the problem, the ovulation will be disrupted anymore. And then there's plenty of ways Mm -hmm. that you can actually address it and normalize the cycle it takes a bit of time and effort and work sometimes, um, but it can be done without the medication, without the pill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You are singing my song. When someone <laughs> starts singing metabolic dysfunction or it's a problem of metabolism, I'm like, yes, that's what it is. <laughs> problem of metabolism. <laughs> We're called PCOS weight loss, but that doesn't mean that everyone has with PCOS has a weight issue. It's the metabolic dysfunction that drives symptoms. One being very frustrating weight loss. So because, you know, I'm a registered dietitian and I had lost 30 pounds with changing my diet and lifestyle weight, PCOS weight loss is our name, but that doesn't define all women with PCOS. Yeah. And it's all about the metabolic dysfunction. And like you said, glucose metabolism. Yes. Yeah. So well, we talked to, me, sorry, I like keep having all these ideas. So I just keep uh-huh. interjecting. Yeah. Um, but I've had a number of clients who, you know, struggle with this. And so my approach typically is, you know, before you start to kind of like go down the road of like, I have this big, scary condition and et cetera, to look at like what's happening now, you know, like, mm-hmm. so what's up? How are you sleeping? Like, what's going on? How are you eating? And, you know, most of my clients, it's like, well, they eat cereal for breakfast. So like all carbs, no protein, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so like for a lot of women, it's not, it's not simple, right? You have to look mm-hmm. at each person, but quite literally just organizing, under, starting to understand that if you have, it's not fair, we all have our kind of cr- like things in life, right? So it's yeah. not fair. You yeah. Know, my friend can eat all the carbs and she doesn't, yeah. you know? So it's not fair. Let's just get that out of the way. <laughs> um, so you're more sensitive to this. Okay. But if you can start to get your head around the fact that most women with PCOS do have an issue with insulin resistance and glucose intolerance, if you can start by just combining protein, fat, and carb, like literally putting protein in your breakfast, yes. Yes. Uh-huh. combining them together so that you're working towards balancing the blood sugar when you're consuming, you know, carbohydrates by themselves, it's just shooting it up, you know, literally just doing that, just making that shift, making sure that each meal you have some protein that you're kind of paying attention. It, it's not this big restrictive diet that needs to happen. It's just Absolutely. paying attention to, you know, even looking at the glycemic index, incorporating more vegetables, a little bit less of the, you know, the simple sugars and all of that stuff. But, but anyways, what I'm saying is not complicated, right? So I've seen so much success Mm -hmm. from that one shift um, for women who, you know, fall into the category of PCOS. Mm -hmm. And so again, that's why it's interesting uh, to hear you say that so many women are encouraged to go on these restrictive diets and do all this exercising when um, the biggest shifts that, you know, sometimes I see in the cycle within even one or two cycles is by controlling the kind of blood sugar spikes throughout the day. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love what you said, like, I mean, for many women, it can be very difficult to make, to find the right lifestyle diet changes, but it takes just one sh- shift, a couple of shifts in your day, you know, as you mentioned, like with your breakfast, adding some mm-hmm. protein to go along with their carbs, as well as some healthy fats. It's just like these small changes over a, a period of time, period consistency, of time, yeah. it, will, it will create big changes, big Huge. results. So that's like one positive note is like, although it can feel overwhelming, it just takes like minor shifts every other day mm-hmm. to kind of like get along that path. Yeah, exactly. So I know we talk about how women with, you know, PCOS is not the solution. I mean, sorry, birth control is not the solution for women with PCOS, but let's dive into the fertility awareness method and other alternatives to tracking ovulation and preventing pregnancy that don't include hormonal birth control. Mm-hmm. Can you, so let's say we have some listeners who aren't aware of other solutions. Can you introduce for the fertility awareness method to them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, so the fertility awareness method in a nutshell is understanding how your cycle works. So Uh, kind of going on the foundation of some of the myths that we touched on before, which is that you're not actually fertile all the time. You're not fertile every single day. And so in a typical healthy cycle, you have your period. And then after your period is finished, you have uh, typically a couple of days before you start to see cervical fluid. So cervical fluid is clear, uh, like like raw egg whites, or it can look like creamy white hand lotion. And so in a typical healthy cycle, you may see anywhere from two to seven days of cervical fluid as you approach ovulation. And so I keep saying typical healthy because I'll talk about PCOS after. Yes. Uh, but typical healthy cycle, you would have that cervical fluid leading up to ovulation. You would then ovulate. And then about 12 to 14 days later, you would get your period. So the fertile window, the, the time of your cycle that you, well, first of all, even if I divide the cycle in half, you know, before ovulation, after the only part of your cycle where pregnancy is possible is actually in the pre-ovulatory phase. And so from a scientific perspective, there are six days of the cycle where pregnancy is possible. And the reason for that is because ovulation only happens on one day. Um, one 12 to 24 hour period and that's it. So even if both ovaries release an egg, like we often see with fraternal twins, that is going to happen on one day because this is like a symphony of hormones that are happening. It is not random. I always say to my clients, like we're not rabbits. Like I think rabbits like um, ovulate like in response to sexual arousal and things like that. But fortunately we are not rabbits. And so um, this is a a, a kind of like, it's really interesting to learn about how the hormones Uh, play a role in this process because as the egg is developing and preparing for ovulation the follicle is uh, producing estrogen and that estrogen is what triggers our cervical fluid production so when we see that cervical fluid that is telling us that we're fertile so if you're trying to get pregnant look for the days that you see the cervical fluid and have sex on those days if you are avoiding pregnancy understand that if you see (laughs) cervical fluid you know just think baby like that's what that means um And so uh, fertility awareness, essentially, when you're using it for birth control, you do have to take the time to understand the concepts. You have to take the time to actually chart the signs so that you can be familiar with it. So the three main fertile signs that you actively pay attention to are cervical fluid, basal body temperature. So that's your waking temperature first thing in the morning. And what's interesting is that after you ovulate, 
you start to produce progesterone and you don't really produce significant progesterone until afterwards, after ovulation. And so progesterone has a thermogenic effect on the body, raising the body temperature. Mm. I mean, when I first started charting, I thought it was the coolest thing. I was, I was the science experiment and I could (laughs) see that when I ovulated, my temperature would rise and stay high. And so this is a scientific method based on the biology, based on how our bodies work. And then the third sign is cervical position. And so the actual texture position of, of your cervix, that's an optional sign. Uh, not everyone wants to you know, check their cervix every day, but um, it is fascinating because again, during ovulation, the cervix is soft, it's open, you can feel um, the difference. And then after ovulation, it closes and, and moves to a different position. So all this is to say that you know, fertility awareness, it does involve understanding how your body works, tracking those signs daily, identifying the fertile window, And then if you're using it for birth control, you have to learn the rules. So we still have to add a buffer period after uh, your cervical fluid dries up at the end of your fertile window. We have to, you know, pay closer attention to those temperatures. But the, the interesting thing is that Fertility awareness, when used correctly, studies have shown up to a 99.4% efficacy rate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we often think of the rhythm method, which is not the same thing. Um, modern fertility awareness-based methods are looking at a day-to-day. So you're, you know, each day you're saying, am I fertile or not based on what I'm seeing, based on what my signs are showing. Whereas, uh, you know, the rhythm method, it's an actual method, but it's based on calendar calculations. So you're actually... Yeah estimating your fertile window based on previous cycles. So it's a completely different beast. Uh, So it is helpful for women to know that there are other options. And, you know, with the fertility awareness method, what I often say is like, well, you've pulled the goalie, like when you, when you have the birth control pill, the pill is designed to make your body what how I call it in um, to be resistant to sperm. So when you're on the pill, you're not ovulating, that's the primary mode of action. Um, the secondary mode of action is that it blocks your cervical mucus with a thick plug. So the sperm can't get in and mm. also it thins your uterine lining so that even if by some miracle there was a fertilized egg, it can't implant. So, you know, that's, so when I say you've pulled the goalie, it means your body is not resistant to sperm. You can get pregnant. So it's about your behavior. So you have to modify yeah. your behavior around the window, either by abstaining from sexual intercourse, engaging in non, non, you know, um, penis and vagina PIV, um, intercourse, uh, or you have to use a barrier, you know, you have yeah. to, you have to figure something out. Mm-hmm. So one thing I'll say though, is that, um, there's with PCOS, there are certain challenges, I think with any kind of issue cycle issue, there would be some challenges. So one of the challenges with PCOS is already we've talked about how it's really common for in uncontrolled PCOS to have these long, irregular cycles. And so certainly I've seen women that have cycles that are 45 days, 50 days, 60 days. And in a situation like that, it's not like you just have like, I don't know, like 40 days of dry. And then you just have this cute little six day mucus window and then you ovulate like real neat and tidy. Anyone with PCOS who's charted knows that often you're having multiple patches of cervical fluid or long periods of cervical fluid. And so what that means for birth control is that there's long parts of your cycle that you have to consider fertile. So you really have to have your strategies down for how you're going to manage your fertile days. Um, And so like I mentioned, in a healthy cycle, you may have two to seven days of mucus. But if you have like... 20 possible fertile days, it can get frustrating because you can't really have your kind of unprotected sex as you would if you were on the pill. Mm -hmm. Um, 
with that said, when you're looking at your cycle as a vital sign and you're actively working towards addressing the underlying issues, uh, you can gradually work towards getting those cycles to where they need to be. So it's kind of like this double-edged sword of like, it is complicated, but also it's not supposed to be like that. So once we address those issues, it can take some time, but ultimately you should be able to get the cycles under 35 days once we have it controlled. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just, I want to make sure I, I understood correctly. So when with PCOS, because of the, the cycles being a, a bit off, they can have bigger windows of fertility, like where they can get pregnant. Is that? Well, that's a really good question. Um, because no, the window would still be six days, mm-hmm. but let me give you an example. So in PCOS, what's happening in a sense is that the the follicles are trying to develop, but you're basically, you know, something is happening to prevent it. So often if I give you a a non PCOS example, so let's say I'm charting my cycles and then the government let's, for example, like locks down (laughs) my, my community. Um, and let's say that like I had important things to do and all of a sudden I can't. And so I'm really stressed or, you know, Uh so I'm being silly, but the example is like, in the this is what happened. (laughs) For some reason, I've got stress. So what can happen is that if I was in my pre-ovulatory phase and I have this stressful thing, it can delay the ovulation. So I could actually start to see cervical fluid and think that I'm going to ovulate. And then, you know, because of the stress, my body actually backs off mm-hmm. and then, you know, the stressful thing happens. And then once my body's kind of back into a normal situation, I'll actually see the cervical fluid again and go into ovulation. So in the case of PCOS, it's kind of like that, where you you know, if, if it's uncontrolled, it means that you have, um, so, you know, going to kind of like what's going on. So you eat the breakfast, you eat the Mm -hmm. cereal, the blood sugar goes up, um, your body releases insulin, but when you're insulin resistant, you know, your, your cells are kind of like, whatever. (laughs) And so then you're, you release more insulin and finally the cells respond, but you end up releasing all this insulin, your blood sugar is higher for longer. And that's a stressful situation in your body. Mm -hmm. And so that's a very kind of rough example of how this could be delaying ovulation. So you end up having cervical fluid and then it's like, nah, and then more and nah. And so there are women who kind of believe that, oh, it just means I'm ovulating a bunch of times. So no, ovulation only happens the one time. And really the window is only six days. This can also be really frustrating for women who are trying to get pregnant because it means that every time you see mucus, you, cause you don't know if this is going to be the time, like you can't predict it in a, ahead of time. So every time you see mucus, you have sex, but if you have like three mucus patches over like 35 days, of course it gets a bit frustrating. Mm-hmm. It's like dragging it out, basically having a late period. It's just dragging it out, dragging out all the symptoms, dragging out the PMS that you get before your period because your period's late. So now instead of a few days of PMS, you have a long period of PMS and you're just pissed all the time. (laughs) Well, see, I would jump in and because it's like when you know too much, but the PMS part. So PMS happens only in the luteal phase after ovulation. So Mm -hmm. technically the PMS part wouldn't necessarily be like longer. It Uh would just take longer to ovulate to even get to the PMS part, but you're still annoyed and frustrated all the whole time. The whole time, because you're not ovulating and your hormones, your progesterone isn't where it needs to be when it needs to be. And it's a catastrophe. So you're, you're, I would say, and tell me if you agree, like you would be PMSy 
for a, a while, like <laughs> well, a little bit yeah. too long. But yeah. I would, yeah, and that's mostly because it's really fr- like, especially again, regardless of whether you're trying to conceive or trying to avoid, but especially, you know, I work with a lot of women who are trying to conceive and, and it can get frustrating because you want to know like, when is the, the right time yeah. to have sex? And for example, it's, it's pretty common for women with PCOS to have elevated LH levels. LH is luteinizing hormone and that's the hormone mm. that triggers ovulation. And so you do you buy these ovulation predictor kits thinking, okay, this is going to help me. Um, and certainly I've seen some different brands that are designed specifically to work better with P- PCOS. So I feel like there's progress here, but my point yeah. Is that you can buy the strips and then they're like positive all the time. And it's like, <laughs> ovulating every day. Like what's going on here? <laughs> so what are some um, factors that can also contribute to our delayed menstrual cycle? So we know stress is one of them. There's xenoestrogens and we read a lot about BPA and that, how that affects our menstrual cycle. Can you elaborate on xenoestrogens as well? Because they're everywhere. And it's just like, where do I even begin by cleaning them up in my environment? Yeah. I mean, it's a big topic. And so xenoestrogen is simply a word for uh, chemicals that are similar enough in structure to estrogen that they fool our receptor sites. So they mm-hmm. stimulate our receptors just like estrogen would. But often because they're not estrogen, they might have an even stronger effect. So they might get into that hormone receptor site and just kind of like yeah. have a field day in there. Mm. Um, and so it's like, it's, it's in everything. I always say, you know, every product ever designed for women, the hair, the shampoo, the soaps, everything with the scent. If you smell like strawberries right now, like, (laughs) sorry to tell you. So it's, it's it's certainly challenging because, um, it means you have to really look at your products. Fortunately though, it's common enough now that if you do go and look at, you know, your whole foods or wherever you look for natural products, there are a lot more product lines that don't contain that. So look for perfume. Uh, if you have something that's scented with, um, essential oils or something, then your muscle less likely have that effect. So in addition to all the beauty care products, certainly there's uh, cleaning products. So when you're everything to clean your house and I know again, now it's a little bit easier when I first started to swap out my products, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, it's like, you'd buy these products that were all natural, but they didn't work. It's like, I still yeah. need a clean toilet. This is not yeah. happening. Um, but still now, don't work. <laughs> we used I found a couple ones, but yeah, we have, we, we went through like a whole swapping of like, uh, cleaning supplies because we're, we're in the same boat. Like we're we, always we really, changing yeah, them. we really want to get rid of like endocrine disruptors and, and like, it's just to off of what you were saying like it's easier now to find products that are healthier but also like it seems like almost everything these days is an endocrine disruptor like you know like if you're using you know like a shampoo conditioner or even like your couch if you have scotch guard if you plastic loofah you use to wrap your body in the shower with don't forget your carpet and your yeah yeah, your mattress so the, the challenge here is to like it's to not let it drive you insane, especially if you're at the beginning of your journey, because it is everywhere. So what I always tell my clients is like, the goal is not to be like pristine and clean and pure, like, Mm -hmm. sorry to break it to you. But even if you get everything perfect in your house, you still have to walk outside and breathe air. (laughs) There's no perfect. And I feel like that takes a bit of the pressure off because the goal especially from the the perspective of the menstrual cycle is improvement. So, you know, if you think about like, where am I getting the most 
So it's probably the laundry detergent and the fabric softener because you sleep on your sheets all night. So what you can do (laughs) is when you're, and don't throw everything out, like take a breath unless you want to, but most of us don't, you know, so, you know, when you uh, run out of your laundry detergent, for example, you can, so also I'll just say that there was a time when I thought, oh, I need to buy, you know, special products. You can just buy non-scented, like start there. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> like yeah. it doesn't have to be the like $50 bottle of laundry soap that is made in wherever with the yeah. oils. Like you can yeah. literally just start with non-scented because the goal uh-huh. is reduction. And you can do that with all of your household cleaning products. I've replaced a lot of those, you know, poisonous toxic sprays with vinegar and water. Mm. And sometimes I'll put in some um, mint essential oil or tea tree essential oil for the bacterial antibacterial properties, but legitimately like, you know, you can keep it simple. And of course you can add to it. For me, one of the challenges was uh, dishwasher soap because every time I bought the natural stuff, it's like, it didn't work, Uh, but eventually I found a brand. And so it's a, a bit of trial and error. Um, mm-hmm. I want to give a couple shout outs, like shout out to um, menstrual products, <laughs> because often like it, you're putting it inside your vagina, if you're using a tampon that's not organic and filled with, oh, yeah. products, right? So um, it's not always the, the key solution for every woman, but certainly some women switch to organic uh, menstrual products and, or they do like menstrual cups and things like that. And they may notice a dramatic reduction in their PMS symptoms or their period mm. pain wow. and things like that. So even to think about it that way. And there's something I just want to briefly touch on. You know, I mentioned that women who have PCOS or have these long irregular cycles are at a lifetime greater risk of type two diabetes. And so I was at a conference a couple of years ago um, and I did an interview with Dr. Joseph Pizzorno and he had done a presentation at that conference and he writes textbooks. So he has like a team of researchers and he put on this Mm. giant slide that had hundreds of research papers showing that the strongest correlation to diabetes was toxin exposure because of how it interferes with your body's ability, um, like the, the receptor sites for insulin. And so when you hear about insulin resistance, he was kind of saying that there's a connection there. Like, what is it that's preventing the insulin receptors from detecting the insulin? And he was suggesting that there's a huge uh, toxin component there. So yeah. definitely something to think about. Cause you wouldn't yeah. really think he actually was talking about how, cause of course you think, okay, well, if a person's overweight, that's going to be the biggest correlator, but actually toxin exposure was bigger than that. Yeah. Cause I mean, the toxins live in the fat cells and they cause inflammation. And then yeah. when your cell is inflamed, then the insulin can't give it the sugar from your bloodstream to burn, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And, um, like you were, you were saying if, because in the last uh, few decades, like the the instances or the um, percentages of diabetes have, have gone up, and that of course has to do with diet, you know, but also with our the amount of endocrine disruptors yeah. that have been introduced into our environment. So it's like both diet and the environment have impacted and maybe have increased the levels of diabetes in our population. Yeah, a combination, I'd say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But going back to the, I'm just so curious, going back to the endocrine disorder, I'm, I'm so curious to hear what um, laundry detergents would you recommend? Because I do the laundry at our house, time folds, I just wash it. Amazing. And <laughs> when I do it, like there's a couple of times where like it just doesn't get the stains out or or whatever. And like we've switched a couple of times. I think I found one that works pretty well, but I'm just curious what you what you like. 
Well, so, I mean, I'm in Canada, so I, I don't oh, think okay. that it'll matter for the laundry detergent, though I think we all have the same stuff. So, I mean, like I said, I, so I've tried a bunch of stuff. I remember mm -hmm. I bought, I think it's called Nellie's when I had my, uh, when I had my son. And so that he's now eight. So that was a long time ago. And of course it was because I was pregnant and I bought this special soap because yeah. I wanted it to be mild. And you know, the soap didn't work. Like I'm not going <laughs> to knock Nellie's. I'm sure it's wonderful. And it's probably my fault. I probably wasn't putting in enough, but the, it doesn't matter either way. It didn't work. And so like the clothes were not getting clean. Yeah. So I really, uh, like I mentioned at, at the very, like when we were talking about this, I often just buy non-scented, non-dyed. Mm -hmm. So I will actually buy just Tide free or I'll buy Purex free or whatever. Like I don't really okay. care about the brand. Yeah. Um, and then right now I actually have this fancy like, I don't know. I don't remember the brand. It's probably Ecomax because there's this, mm -hmm. I, I like I'm not affiliated, but there's a brand called Ecomax. Uh -huh. Yeah, I really like because it actually works like they have bathroom cleaner spray that's natural okay. and, and it like it, I think it's scented with essential oils, but it actually like you could spray it on the, the tub and it actually cleans the tub and it actually nice. cleans the toilet. Um, so oh. I think right now we have our lavender like essential oil, but I I'm yeah I don't I, yeah. and that's my that's what I try to talk like that's how I try to talk to my clients as well because if we get caught up in trying to get this brand and then we it can yeah. kind of paralyze us when what we really need is to mm -hmm. wash the, the clothes and, yeah. and we just need something that isn't going to pollute our our inner air, Absolutely. <laughs> inner air quality yeah. <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah keeping it simple you know going for the scent free stuff one step at a time not like feeling get to throw out everything exactly. just to wash your clothes you know exactly. yeah it's a good point well because I can take it to that level right because so over the course of about six months to a year I'd say so I started with the beauty products went through mm -hmm. the cleaning products mm -hmm. and Same. then like again like then I started replacing all of this like the non-stick pans and then bought the cast iron pans and then I bought like a water filter that has a fluoride filter mm -hmm. and then you can start looking at like oh my goodness I need a new mattress Mm. <gasps> right like so do i need to buy an organic mattress like, so it's like do we, we need to take out the carpets because they off gas like yeah. Yeah. so far the wood is laminated what's it made of i don't know honestly we actually when we bought our mattress two years ago when we first got married I was like, I want an organic mattress. Okay, like we're going to start fresh. Everything is going to be organic. I'm not going to deal with this off-gassing nonsense. So we went and we sat on the organic yeah, mattress. Yeah, and it was so bad. It was so unacceptable. It felt like, pla like we were like, in plastic. I it was like a It was like a soft rock. Yeah. And I, I went a step further. I bought an organic oh, mattress you did I like, it, it, like it? it didn't work I mean I'm not like who knows why but at the end of the day we bought it last year it was yeah. like a fiasco yeah. in my house it was like a scandal because I bought this I bought one mattress it didn't work for my husband I bought the organic mattress and I was so excited it's like a yeah company uh -huh. a good message it has yeah. to be good and my bum sunk all the way through so like obviously it wasn't wow. providing me with enough support and I ended up at the chiropractor so wow yeah I feel yeah. You just yes. this is the, you just have to this is the thing. It's important not to get too caught up in yeah. you know, you just have to try to make the choice that's going to be best. So I um get the organic finding a ma mattress. It off-gassed a little bit though. Like I do look oh. at the off-gassing. Some of them that aren't organic, you can kind of look at the comments. 
oh uh-huh. trust me because like if, i told you it was a scandal so like i'm like fresh off this thing but if you look at the comments some of these mattresses especially they have the online ones now they ship you mattresses in a box so you can yeah. actually look at the comments and search for stink or smell or off gassing and see what people are saying so even if it's not organic you try to minimize so this is exactly yeah. my point because i'm not some magical person living on a mountain somewhere with no xenos. yes like i still live <laughs> in the world with everyone else uh-huh. yeah <laughs> We'll need to look into that. Ours was or Nest. So I'm, I'm going to go on their website and see how they're off-gassing and see if it's... Sure. Let's maybe we'll, we'll get a new mattress tomorrow. And how about we just... How about we get like organic linen sheets that are yeah. like unbleached or whatever? Yeah. Just like, True. That's where you can start before you go to the mattress. Sheets. That's right. They're great. <laughs> I, love it. I love it. All right. All right. Um, so I guess we're going to just wrap up the interview, Lisa. And just uh, before we go, though, um, if the readers could take away one thing from your book, what would you want it to be? And um, after that, could you also let us know where your readers can, oh, sorry, where our listeners can find you, your resources, as well as your podcast too? Well, thank you for that. I'm, I mean, if there's one thing that you could take away from the book, I think it would be that you can actually normalize your menstrual cycles without birth control. Mm-hmm. It is possible to have he- healthy menstrual cycles and if your menstrual cycles are consistently out of the normal range, it is a sign that there's a, a, something at play, whether it's a mm-hmm. health issue or, you know, in the case of PCOS. Um, so certainly that would be the main message. And it's important because so many women have never heard that before. And so if they get a diagnosis of PCOS, they feel like um, this is what I have. This is my new identity. And mm-hmm. I need these, you know, I- I'll never kind of, my body couldn't normalize itself on its own. Um, so there are women with PCOS who through, I, I mean, I'm speaking to the choir here, <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so it's possible. And uh, so thank you for, you know, asking. So in terms of the book, it's the fifth vital sign, master your cycles and optimize your fertility. And it's available on Amazon and paperback ebook and audiobook formats. And you can get the first chapter for free over at the fifth vital sign book.com. Awesome. Um, if you liked this conversation and you're interested to learn more about fertility awareness, I have my podcast, the fertility Friday podcast. And you can find me on Instagram as well at Fertility Friday. I post some interesting things over there. Yeah. Amazing. Awesome. Thank you so much. And listeners, we'll be, we'll be putting all that information in the podcast description so you can head over there to get direct access to Lisa. So thanks yeah. so much for joining us. It was such a pleasure having you on our podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Yes. Yeah, same here. Alrighty, thank you, listeners. We'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, we'll see you on Instagram, I guess. Bye. Take care. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you have to come check out The Sisterhood. It's my monthly membership site where sisters just like you are learning how to move through the stages of PCOS. From stage one, cold and alone at the doctor's office, to stage five, nailing the PCOS lifestyle, gluten and dairy free. Get ready to finally feel in control of your body again.